Welcome to the Henrik Stenson Almost an Hour Podcast, part of the Callaway Podcast Network. Jeff Newbart with Henrik here. Henrik, why won't you give me an hour? Uh, I mean, like we said in the promo, we we got some Swedish fish to eat. So uh, I think an hour is a bit, you know, stretching it a bit too far. All right. Well, this is the first of many podcasts we're going to do. We're going to do these every other week coming out on Thursday mornings. Great way to get your tournament golf week started uh, with access to the Iceman. You're going to be able to ask him questions. Uh, He's hopefully going to answer them. Uh, I think nothing's really off bounds. But what I'm excited about is Henrik is certainly one of the great personalities in this game. And now we're getting a chance to, to know him a little bit better in this open forum. So give us a peek behind the sunglasses. You know, you have those beautiful uh, sunglasses on normally when, when when you're out on the golf course. Why now? Why why do you want to engage with your fans uh, doing your own podcast? Well, I think during this uh, this pandemic here, it's been it's been a lot of things done on on social media, a lot of interaction between players uh, from different sports, getting to uh, spend a bit of extra time with the fans and it, it seems like they they thoroughly enjoy it and it's a it's a chance to you know get some of those interesting questions and interact in a in a slightly different way so uh, I was all up for it and uh, I'm excited about uh, this opportunity well we would love you to subscribe we'd love you to rate we'd love you to review and even tell what do you think maybe like 30 or 40 of your closest friends about this podcast give it a listen we hope it'll be uh, one of your favorite golf podcasts. All right, let's get into it, Henrik. Um, lots going on. The PGA Tour to return next week to Colonial. European Tour has announced the plan, but what has been announced is Henrik's return to professional golf. So let's uh, let's break some news here and tell everybody when we're going to see you on the on the competitive circuit again. Yeah, my uh, my plan at the moment is to uh, either play or travel back to the U.S. kind of mid July. I. Uh, uh, spend the summers in Sweden with the family, uh, and given given the situation here, I, I kind of took it easy on the return. I'll uh, I'll uh, sit out a few weeks, uh, see how everything gets going. I think it might be a little little bit more messy the first couple of weeks as well before before everyone finds their their bearings and with testing and everything. So um, I'll, I'll watch it from the couch the first couple of weeks, and uh, then most likely then with the current restrictions, I'll travel over mid. July to uh, Lake Nona, I'll have a couple of weeks practice and then I'll tee it up at the WGC uh, FedEx uh, tournament in Memphis. What is most concerning for you? What is the one thing you're looking forward to watch um, over these first couple of weeks to see how the tour rebounds? Well, I think it's just going to be uh, a, a little bit more difficult, obviously, than, than normal. Uh, it's going to be uh, with safety in in first uh, in the first room, of course, uh, I think it's going to be some some timely procedures to to get going here for everyone involved. So uh, I'll just uh, I'll just watch that. I mean, if I if I would have spent the summers normally in America, I, I, I most likely would have been a colonial. But I had to weigh in a, a few different things, and with the family always going back here and spending ten weeks. Uh, the whole summer holidays in Sweden and me not being able to to travel back and forth uh, like I normally do in the summertime, I took the decision to to sit back and and have a bit more family time. And once I get over and start playing, I can I can play pretty much play every week up until Christmas because it's gonna be it's gonna be lots of golf tournaments and uh, it's not gonna be a shortage. So I'm just kind of tweaking my my return a little bit and and probably play a bit more in the fall. Do you think? It's more challenging for someone like yourself, who's a world player, um, and and isn't just 
you know, based on, on one tour to be able to, to navigate kind of these, these tricky waters that we're all trying to get through right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've, I've read the, the comments that uh, Tommy Fleetwood and, and Lee Westwood made, uh, you know, if there's a two week quarantine traveling into the States, you're playing two or three weeks and then you're going back and you have a two week quarantine in, in Great Britain, like the North, that, like they have at the moment. I mean, that's a, that could potentially then be a six-week trip to play two tournaments. So I think uh, it, it certainly will have a bigger impact on the players residing outside of the States. Uh, once I return here in the next month or, or so, um, then you know I'm going to stay stateside most likely until the end of the year and just play all my golf in, in the US. Uh, normally, I go on a few trips uh, towards the end of the season, but we'll just have to wait and see how how the uh, situation is worldwide with, with the COVID-19 and, uh, and how everything is, is going and restrictions and, and so on. So it's, it's certainly tricky times and uh, I guess there's no right or wrong answers. Everyone just make their own kind of decisions. Uh, and um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see golf getting back into, into uh, things again. And um, yeah, it just didn't work out with my planning to be there for the first couple, but um, I'm, I'm sure the the urge and the, and the the eagerness is going to just get more when when I see the other guys playing, and I'm going to get uh, get pretty excited about competing again and uh, be ready to play in in Memphis. And we're going to talk about Colonial a little bit later when we talk about some uh, architectural design because that's something uh, you also you have your own design company. I don't know if a lot of people know that and have a passion for um, the Ryder Cup. We we saw glimpses during the the two sort of charitable events of what golf looks like with no fans let's get Henrik's take on a Ryder Cup with zero uh, spectators out there yeah I mean for the for the atmosphere and for the feeling um, for us as players I mean that would be very blunt it would be uh, something that you can't really imagine at at this point uh, then looking at the bigger picture if that's the only way the Ryder Cup can go ahead and if it's not an option to play it next year with with crowds, with fans, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to play a Ryder Cup than to not play a Ryder Cup. But uh, of course, uh, we all would like to see it with fans uh, in some sort of capacity. I don't know if you can play with limited fans. Uh, I mean, we've got different regulations in different states. You can have one view for the US, but it might be still uh, a different approach um, in Wisconsin. So who knows what's going to happen. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm as eager as anybody to, to get the, to get the word, to get the, uh, the news on what's going to happen. I mean, uh, first of all, it's going to be the announcement if we're going to have a Ryder cup or not. And I guess secondary is going to be, is it going to be played with fans or not? Uh, further down the line, it's going to be discussion, certainly on the European side, on the qualification system. We've only played, um, I think roughly about a third of the of the qualifying tournaments or the available qualifying points, uh, which kind of compromises the the European points list. Uh, so, is that something that will be looked at? Then, are you going to have more picks? Are you going to change something out depending on on how this all plays out? Because you you also got the the European players that are playing on the PGA Tour. If now the PGA Tour starts up. Is it going to be world ranking? Because the world ranking has been frozen. 
Um, if those points start to accumulate, it's obviously not fair for those guys who play Colonial that can earn points towards the qualification and guys who are back home in, in the UK cannot. So, yeah, every every time you, you answer one question, there's another three or four on the back end of it and other implications. So we'll just have to wait and see, but I'm, I'm certainly... Uh, keen to to get the to get the news on what's going to happen. Do you think it would be an advantage for Europe if the American uh, crowd is not allowed to get in there, or do you think it would just be such a weird, surreal thing uh, that that it wouldn't really? You, you'd almost rather have a crowd rooting against you than no crowd at all. Yeah, I'd definitely rather have have the away crowds than than not have a crowd. No question. Uh, I think. Um, most of my colleagues on the European team that I've seen commenting on this have, have said the same thing. Uh, certainly, Rory, I read something that he was uh, he was on the same page, and um, yeah, it would be an advantage because you wouldn't feel like you're playing an away game in the same in the same sense uh, that we normally do. So that that would be an advantage for sure for Team Europe, but. You know, we that that's kind of the challenge when you're playing away, you're playing against the other team, but you're also having the crowd or the majority of the crowd rooting against you. And that's just one extra hurdle that you have to, to overcome if you want to win and makes it even more special when you win on, on away grounds. And if I look at my own Ryder Cup history and track record here, I've been on five teams uh, and... Um, I've been on the winning side three times, but they've all been in Europe and the two losing ones have been in America. So I feel like i got one, one little thing to, to set square with the Ryder Cup uh, if I can, can have my choosing. And, and that would be, of course, an away win. That would be very much closing the Ryder Cup chapter for, for myself, I think. Yeah, and I'm just kind of conflicted here because obviously, you know, we get along so well that we do this podcast together, but I was going to have to go there and root against you. And I was literally going to walk every hole with you and and be booing you. And that's that, that, that the, the only no, that wouldn't silver happen. lining. That wouldn't happen. But that you wouldn't, wouldn't let happen. me in? I mean, you'd, I, I mean, unless you want to crawl on the back nine, I, I'd suggest that you, uh, that you bring that European flag and you let it fly high and proud on the front nine. Otherwise, you, you'll be struggling to finish. That sounded like some type of threat. I, I, I don't know how I should uh, how I should react to that. Maybe that'll be the reason I root for no fans at the Ryder Cup, so I don't put us in this awkward situation. <laughs> uh, speaking of something that's not going to be awkward, uh, here's what's going to be, I think, my favorite segment of this podcast as we go on. It's Ask the Iceman. So if you want to reach out to us, either in the Callaway community, callawaygolf.com slash community, or just use uh, either Twitter or Facebook at Callaway Golf, and you can ask the Iceman, and we will get the best of the best questions and ask Henrik and uh, ask some tough ones. Don't make it easy on him. All right, no, I no, have absolutely. four questions. For I have four questions for you. First one is from Eric. Eric wants to know what is your favorite event on both the PGA Tour and the European Tour, and why? Uh, well, I'd uh, I'd start now with the European Tour. Um, I'd, I'd say both uh, both tournaments down in Dubai are are special. I, I used to live in Dubai for for a number of years. I, I spent uh, spent the winter times, uh, winter months in Dubai. So you know, for me to win the Dubai Desert Classic and the DP World Tour Championship, uh, both at Emirates Golf Club and at Jumeirah Golf Estates, uh, there were they kind of home wins for me. Um, and uh, Dubai is a great golfing destination. They got some great golf courses. So the weather in the winter time, the food, 
uh, everything else that you can do. So it's uh, it's a cool spot to visit and, and play some golf. And uh, uh, when the tour comes down there, it always kind of feels like going home for me. So I'll, I'll pick those uh, pick Dubai and those tournaments. Uh, on the PDA Tour, I'd say um, TPC Sawgrass, the Players Championship, uh, just for the um, the kind of the whole the whole week is is a great week. Um, obviously, a shame that we that we had to stop kind of before we had started almost here, and uh, um, that was that was the last time we we set foot on a golf course and played competitive golf uh, as as for now and. Uh, the facilities. I mean, the golf course is great. It's a t- it's a good test. Um, great practice facilities. It's got a huge clubhouse, and they they really look after us and the uh, and the families for the week. And then I, I normally rent the same little house on the beach, uh, and the kids can we can go and jump in the surf and uh, and just have a have a good week off the golf course as well. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pick those ones. I think they're kind of hard to beat. Well, plus when you win in a place, it's got to be a little more special to you. I mean, if you have a place that even if you love it and you can't you can't make a cut there, it's probably not going to be your favorite. That's just me as an amateur thinking that if you win, you're going to like the place. Yeah, I'll say, uh, yeah, certainly. And then when you come back, I mean, any place you've won, it, it brings it brings back great memories. And a lot of times, I think players play a little bit better, even if they might not have the best week. They might play a little bit better than they would have done otherwise because they. They still have that win in the back of their mind, and they enjoy the golf course and 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 everything put together. So um, yeah, certainly. But there, there, there's been occasions I think when I will be the one who played well on a golf course that I don't necessarily enjoy that much, but it just still suits your game or, or you played really well that week. So it's it's it's, it's kind of a, a bit of a mixed bag on that end. All right. Well, plus the added bonus of the Players Week is we always spend some time together on Tuesday, so I'm sure that factored into it. All right. Next question from Joe. Speaking of uh, big wins, and certainly uh, one of the times when you won uh, in Dubai, uh, clinched the the uh, race to Dubai uh, in the same year you won the FedEx Cup. How do you deposit those big checks? Like they give these pros these big checks and everything. And I mean, I don't know. Do you guys have like big ATMs or do you like? Well, what do you do with these things? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We uh, we go down and they have this giant ATM just on the backside of the golf course, and you have to push this check in, and, and you get like even bigger bills uh, comes out the other end, and um, that's why we travel around with so much luggage. That makes total sense to me. All right, Julie wants to know what's the craziest thing a tournament has asked you to do. Her reference was in uh, the HSBC. Um, you know, they do pictures of of some of the players on camels or uh, some of the, the the crazy laser light shows we've seen in Shanghai. What's the craziest thing a tournament has asked you to do? Well, I think uh, I think she kind of hit the uh, the head of the nail uh, right there. I think in in China we've done some some pretty uh, effectful and eventful photo shoots to promote the event. And uh, unfortunately for, for everyone involved, uh, that one where we were, when we were, um, when we were superheroes and hanging in, in ropes, uh, I, I kind of hurt my ribs and I, I had to pull out for a few weeks afterwards. So that I remember was not that. The, that was not the, the best kind of stunt that we've, that we've done. And, I think they uh, they got a little bit more careful going forward not to not to make things like that happen. But um, I mean, accidents and injuries can happen anywhere. But it was at the end of the day. Um, I mean, I did get injured. I injured a rib, and uh, I, I was out of 
competitive play for a couple of weeks as a as a consequence. So yeah, that that was one that turned out bad. Let's put it I that think way. What, yeah, well, certainly. Uh, the European Tour does so many of these great ones. Like I love at the Turkish Open when they have uh, people try to drive the ball, you know, from one continent to the other uh, over the bridge or Dubai, whether it's up in the heliport. Um, I, I just think it's such a cool thing. Why do you think that the European Tour kind of leads in 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 that sort of promotional act? And do you think the PGA Tour should maybe look to adopt some of that? I mean, maybe it'd be fun at Memphis, you know, when you come back, maybe we have like a rib eating contest between all the players. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we certainly uh, on the European tour. You you certainly play all around the world. So I mean, the the kind of bank or how should I say uh, the the opportunities that that is is given when you travel all around the world. You got the Eiffel Tower. I mean, Thomas Bjorn and and uh, Jim Furyk were. Hitting balls from the Eiffel Tower. You you mentioned Tiger on the bridge in uh, uh, in in Turkey and and hitting it over between Europe and Asia and and uh, we've we've had some pretty pretty cool photo shoots in in Shanghai and other places as well. Um, so yeah, the uh, the opportunities are certainly at times a little bit better on the European tour, uh, given right. where we travel. But do we? Um, I, I mean, I, I did one in Abu Dhabi a few years, uh, quite a long, uh, long time ago. I was hitting it off an airplane wing. So if we're going to to Memphis, I mean, you could you can kind of replicate that and uh, whack oh, a driver totally. off the airplane airplane wing on a FedEx plane. That would be something to do. Would you hit a driver? Or would you hit a three? I would think you'd go three. I would. Hit, I, no, I'd go driver. I hit it. Okay. I think eight hundred and ninety three yards um, off the on on the runway on the runway there. Well, I would need a wide runway to be able to do that. All right, our last question for this week's Ask the Iceman. And again, hit us up at Callaway Golf with your questions for our next episode with Henrik. This is from Bruce. What's the best thing you drank out of the Claret Jug? Well, I think uh, that was some some nice uh, champagne uh, within hours of of winning it. Uh, I think the first the first sip was the best one. Um, that evening with uh, with some family and, and close friends uh, that were there for the uh, for the win and um, yeah we, we poured some nice champagne in and everyone had a good sip out of that and uh, yeah that's that's something that will be with me for for the rest of my life for sure. It was weird. I didn't get the invitation to that party, but maybe it just got lost in the mail. All right. That is Ask the Iceman for this week. And again, we want to hear from you guys. So give us some new questions. And every episode, we will let you ask Henrik. If you're enjoying the Almost an Hour podcast with Henrik Stenson, check out some other great podcasts on the Callaway Podcast Network. Girls in Golf, hosted by Lex and Sarah, the only podcast out there that is covering every aspect of the women's golf game from women who are part of professional golf to broadcasters to instructors to influencers they have it all a great listen you definitely want to make sure you check that one out and every monday check out the fitting room podcast that's where every one of you tinkerers is going to want to listen to a deep dive all things equipment from grips to shafts to swing weight to anything you could possibly imagine those guys have it covered on the fitting room and the Callaway Golf Podcast, uh, a hodgepodge of guests from professional golfers to people connected to the world of Callaway, an inside look at the Callaway Golf Marketing Department and kind of how everything transpires there. Now let's get back 
to the Almost an Hour podcast with Henrik Stenson. All right, uh, next topic we want to cover is uh, architecture. So I don't think a lot of people know this about you, but in uh, 2015, you started your own design company. And it's, it's, I'm assuming it's a goal that as, as life moves on, you want to get more and more into design. Tell people why you have an interest in architecture and why you wanted to start a design company. Yeah, I've, I've just had this opportunity to, to play golf around the world for so many years. I've seen some of the best golf courses and some of the not so best golf courses, <laughs> to put it nicely. And uh, I mean, over time, you kind of develop um, yeah, have an idea of what you like and what you'd like to see in a golf course and, and how I would like to do it myself. So um, yeah, I, I teamed up with a, with a good friend of mine, uh, Christian Lundin. He's a, he's a golf course architect and uh, also a greenkeeper in the, uh, in the beginning. So he's, uh, he's very good to, um, to have as a partner. He's knowledgeable both about the design side, but also he knows how to, how to manage a golf course. Um, so he's, uh, he's a really good uh, partner to have, as I said. And uh, we teamed up in 2015. Met uh, just out of coincidence uh, through some common friends, and uh, quickly after that, we got the got the work to uh, to redesign a 36 uh, hole complex in uh, in Stockholm. And uh, last uh, September, we opened the first 18, and uh, I think either the end of this year or early next year, we're going to start uh, designing the other 18 as well. And uh, got some great feedback on the first course, uh, and out of the two. Um, pieces of land, the two parcels of land. The, the second one is actually the, the better uh, views and, and the better land. So I'm, I'm really excited that we managed to do a really good job on the first one. And now we got even, even pretty views to, uh, to incorporate with the, with the second course. So, uh, so far so good. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's interesting for me to learn more about, I mean, I've, I've played so much golf, but also understanding how you build a golf course from the from scratch from the ground upwards and uh, all the work and all the things you need to to think about before uh, before you actually put grass down on the ground so um, it's it's been a it's been a good journey in that sense and looking forward I'm I don't see myself as someone who wants to make 10 golf courses a year I'd rather do one or two projects at a time that we feel like we can give give enough uh, quality and I want to be involved. I don't, I'm not interested in putting my name on a golf course if I can't, you know, really be, be there and, and have my say in it and, and make sure it turns out the way I want to. So I'm not going to be someone who's going to spit out 10 courses a year. I'm, I'm, I'm making that promise uh, already now. So uh, slowly but steady and uh, it's something I, I hope I get to do more. We have a few other things in, in the pipeline, a couple of projects here and there that's, uh, either about to start or um, hopefully be starting in the next year or two. So, um, yeah, it's exciting times on that end. Well, I think you mentioned it. I, I want to focus on the positive. You, you've played so many great architectural masterpieces. Give me a couple that you, even when you're competing in, in a tournament or a championship, that you still appreciate uh, the fact that, that the architect did such an amazing job. And it's more than just competing in a golf tournament that you're, you're focusing, even if it's early in the week, on the architecture. Yeah, I think uh, I mean it's certainly uh, it's certainly a difference. Also, just playing a tournament at a golf course. I mean, it, it could be the setup plays a big part, and and 
the, without mentioning any any names, um, there's a there's a famous course down in Spain. Uh, some might already figured out which one it is. And I never really enjoyed playing tournament golf there because it was it was too penal. In, in uh, I just didn't feel like it was fair. You could hit a nice tee ball. You you'd be four paces off the center cut on, on the fairway and you were blocked out by a tree. But when I played it socially a few times over the years, I thought it was a fun golf course to play with your friends or with your family. And and it was a little bit more crazy golf at times. You had to shape certain shots. And But if I if I hit a nice tee ball down the center cut, I want to get rewarded for that. I don't want to be in a place where, I'm, where I don't get the get the reward for, for a good tee shot. So there, there's, there's a difference in that. Uh, I think uh, to a part we, of course, we play with our eyes, eyes as well. I mean, I played Pebble Beach over Christmas with my family. And when you, when you catch Pebble on a, on a gorgeous day, um, where do you think that's the best design of the golf course or not, but just uh, where it's situated and, and the, whole, the whole experience of playing there on a good day is, is amazing. So... Uh, that always comes into part as well. You you can't make miracles if you're in a in a in a bad um, you know place for a golf course. You're not going to be able to make it one of the most scenic ones. But you can certainly make a make it an interesting course. Um, wh- what I like is golf courses that can they can fit pretty much every type of player. If you make it playable for the everyday golfer and and for the weekend golfer, they can make it round. Um, and that's what I feel like we did in Stockholm. We made a course that if you've got 18 handicap, you, you can still play your way around there, but you've got to use your shots on certain holes. If you want to take a risk and hit a four-round over water, I mean, that's your choice. But if you have a stroke on the hole, you might you might want to play for the front left of the green and try and make your par with a chip and a putt. But if you want to go for the, for the glory shot, it's there. If you don't want to, there's another option. So to make it... Um, very much into the player's hand to make the decisions. I don't want to be as a as an architect. I don't want to be the one saying that on this hole you should hit two iron. Here you should hit three wood. You know, I want to give the choice. If you want to hit the two iron, that's fine. I give you a nice spot to hit the two iron. But now you're going to get a longer second shot, of course, and the angle might be a little bit tougher. If you hit a three wood, yeah, we might have this bunker on the left hand side that you challenge, but you're going to get a shorter second shot if you want to hit the driver you take that bunker out of play, but now there might be a water hazard that, that challenges that drive instead. But I'll leave it to the player to to see how he feels, what his strengths are, and and there's going to be a risk and reward into it. So uh, we try and, try and put all those things in there. It's not, not the easiest, but I, I feel like we did uh, did pretty good in this, uh, in this first uh, course that we did. All right, I'm just going to correct one thing. No 18 handicap should have a two iron, two iron in their bag. Four iron debatable, <laughs> but no 18 handicaps have a two iron. All right. One thing we're going to do each week is we're going to look at one hole uh, to help you because, again, these are coming out every uh, other Thursday, either on the PGA Tour or the European Tour to kind of get your architectural uh, you know, thought on it as we go into tournament weeks. And this week, we're looking at Colonial, the ninth hole, playing 402 yards. Talk to me a little bit about the ninth hole uh, down in Fort Worth. Yeah, so uh, when when I uh, just in my mind, it's been a few years since I played Colonial, but when I went through uh, when I went through the course in my mind, the ninth came up as a as, as a great kind of risk and reward or strategic hole. It's not the longest by any means. It's a it's a shortish par four, a slight bit of a dogleg right. Uh, got some fairway bunkers in the middle of the hole there and uh, off the tee. 
uh, and there's a pond guarding the green. And I think it's, it's great because off the tee, you got to decide. You want to go, obviously hitting the fairway is going to be crucial, but do you want to lay back to guarantee to hit the fairway, maybe with a three on or four on? I mean, there's no guarantees ever, but more likely to hit the fairway. Or do you want to kind of front load to to go with a with a driver or three wood and hit it much further up there because if you do uh, succeed with that tee shot then then you pretty much got nothing left into that green it's just a little wedge into that green so again you have the choices um, and the interesting part for everyone watching watching is is really when when a player missed and either in the rough under the trees in the bunkers because now you got maybe not a super long shot, but you're in trouble. You can't guarantee the strike. You don't know if it's going to jump or not out of the rough, the contact you're going to make out of a fairway bunker, uh, and you have that second shot over water. And I don't think there's anything uh, that pros really dislike more than, than having a nine iron out of a fairway bunker over water because you know instantly if you, if you don't catch it the way you want to, it's going to get wet. So it's... Uh, Again, then you're most likely going to make a double bogey on a short hole, and if you play correctly, you make a you have a, have a good birdie chance, and you make either three or four, and it could be a three or two shot swing there in in a heartbeat uh, on a on a hole that's 400 yards. So it just tells me that all these holes, par threes, don't need to be 225 yards, and par fours don't need to be 400 yards. They oh, 500 yards. They just need to be. Um, they just need to be strategically challenging and and uh, having that risk and reward element in there. Yeah, and Colonial, uh, you know, has gone through a couple different uh, you know restorations. The most recent, uh, Keith Foster did. You know, they call it a scenic pond. I, I don't think any pond that like put the scenic pond like to the side, like a hundred yards away from the green, if it's supposed to be scenic. If it's in the in between the fairway and the green, it's not scenic, right? No, I mean, if you, if you throw a couple of ducks in there, then it might make it a bit more scenic. But uh, I think it's uh, no, it's not there to be scenic. It's there to eat away your your slightly mistruck second shots. Not that you All would right, have well, hit one of those. No, of course not. I mean, you you've seen my game. All right, uh, every week again, we will do this little architectural moment. Pick one hole at a golf course. If you have a hole that uh, you want to hear Henrik's opinion of, please let us know either in the Callaway community or at Callaway Golf, tweet us, and we'll uh, let you know. One other thing we're going to every single week on this, and this is kind of my favorite segment of the show, Henrik, is this day in obscure Henrik Stenson history. And I kind of wished we had a bunch of reverb and everything and like a loud uh, introduction <laughs> to this, but maybe we'll get that going in future weeks. Um, these are mostly true, but I had to do a lot of research to get this. So today, uh, which this episode comes out on June 4th, was coincidentally... Uh, the last day of middle school, and you had Mr. Ensley uh, for middle school, uh, I think it was your seventh grade year, and from what, what I was told is that you guys had a soccer game, uh, I guess you guys called it football, we call it soccer over here, and you were the first person in the history of the middle school to get a red card in the last day end of school soccer game. Can you tell us the situation uh, as to what led to this uh, this red card on the pitch? Uh I mean, when you had this many red cards over the years, uh, it's kind of hard to to remember one of the first ones. Uh, but I, um, I'm pretty sure that uh, whoever I tackled, that he's recovered by now uh, and doing well. And um, I guess I can just say I'm sorry. 
Yeah, well, that makes sense. And you got to think it'd be cool. If you're going to get red carded by somebody, you might as well have it be someone who uh, would go on to be a major champion a little bit later as opposed to someone like myself. All right. Uh, tour stories. Each week, we're going to get a great tour story from you. In the promo to this podcast, uh, you promised that you will name names. So I'm pretty excited uh, for that. So give us, uh, you know, give us, uh, take us inside the ropes, take us, you know, in the plane, on the on the bus, the car, whatever. Give us a good tour story and uh, let's name some names. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, at least to my, uh, to my sw- uh, Swedish listeners they've uh, they have uh, probably heard this one before because i've i've told it once before i know uh but it's it's certainly one of my absolute favorite stories from from life on tour i'm not included myself but the story is amazing and it's a long long time ago it's in the uk uh, it involves a caddy who's on his way to caddy at wentworth uh, for the for the pga championship at wentworth and uh, he's going to catch the train to the golf course, but he's running a little bit late. So he's, uh, he's running towards the train station um, and he's desperate to do number two, which is not good when you're running for your train. And no. I, ha- I haven't tried this myself, but he trips and stumbles and falls to the ground. And apparently if you're dying to do number two and you trip and fall, there's a good chance that you actually do number two. Uh, and that happened for, for this gentleman. So now he's in even more panic mode than just being late for the train. So he sees this little corner shop and they have a basket where they, where they have a sale on tracksuits. So he runs in and puts 20 bucks or 15 pounds on, on the counter grabs a tracksuit and keeps on jogging for the train station. And he just gets in there. The train is about to leave. He jumps on. Um, okay, he's pretty happy with this. He locks himself up in the, into the toilet and starts cleaning himself up. Train's moving. Window comes down, chucks the nasty stuff out of the, uh, out of the train and starts putting on the tracksuit and opens up, puts on the, uh, on the top open up the other the other bag and it's another top so in the hurry at the store he managed to take two tops and now he's already thrown all his other stuff out of the window and he's standing there with a top on 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 his top off and he has to force his legs through the arms on the top and pull it up so he can at least go out and Finished the train ride. He makes his way to um, to Wentworth, where he gets to borrow some rain gear from an, from a friend of his, and he went on to uh, to work and caddy and do his duties. So, you know, it can be pretty eventful on 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 your way to work, and um, that's just a, a story from from life on tour. You're not going to name names. No, I actually don't know the the caddy's full name. Uh, I think his nickname is uh, Maka. Mucka, I would. Th- yeah. I, I have about ten other nicknames I would give him after that story. <laughs> I mean, why? Why wouldn't? Why yeah. would his nickname be like Train Track or something like that? <laughs> you know, yeah. Train. Maybe. Uh, maybe you should have a few more nicknames. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that's one of my favorite stories because I'm, I'm kind of a. I can imagine things in my in my mind and and just the look on his face when he puts the the top on. He feels like he saved the day and opens the other one and 
there's no trousers in that one. There's another top. So, um, you know, like they say, shit happens, right? It totally does. It totally does, especially that. That's another nickname we could come up with. All right. Uh, every week, a tour story. I don't know how we're going to top that one, but I have a strange feeling that over the years I wanted of traveling... To, I wanted to start strong in that segment. You did. You yeah. did. I think that... Uh, I think if, uh, if, if nothing else, we get an A-plus for, uh, for the tour story segment. All right, Henrik, one last thing I want to ask you before we kind of wrap up our first episode of the Almost an Hour uh, Henrik Stenson Golf Podcast is I want to learn some Swedish because I don't think people appreciate how much, um, you know, how challenging it is to be able to have a conversation, one, with me, because that's not easy to do. But two, you know, <laughs> this is, you know, you, you can do this in both languages, but I can. And my goal is at some point each week to increase the amount of Swedish I can uh, bring into into the podcast. So each week I'm going to ask you to give me a Swedish word of the week that I could potentially use in a future podcast. Um, so why don't you why don't you help educate me a little bit? Yeah, I think uh, I think we we start with some simple ones. Uh, hey, can you say hey. that? Yeah, H E J. Hey, that's hello. Okay. Uh, and then the second one, uh, which is "hur mor du." Hur mor du. Yeah, hur mor du. What's that? Hur mor du. That's how are you. So you okay, can say like, hey, hey, hur mor du. Okay. Hey, more do. Yeah. Oh, that's hi. Exciting. How are you? All right. Well, I can so tell if you. you I... If you train that, if you train, uh, practice on that a little bit. Um, I think we should open the 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 second episode with you asking me that. So I, I expect a perfect Swedish pronunciation on that next time. All right. Well, I will work on that. And our next show is going to be in two weeks. You'll still be uh, overseas, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to have some uh, insightful conversation on the first two weeks of the PGA Tour. They're going to be playing Colonial, and then they're going to be playing um, in Harbor Hilton Town. Head. Hilton yep. Head, yeah, yep. one of the great golf courses. Two really short golf courses. I think that's one of the reasons you're not playing, too. This is These are not the golf courses for those who... Uh, prodigious length. I think it's going to be fun uh, just to see golf back, and I think that's uh, that's that's really important. Yeah, Again, too, we watch- I mean, Colonial is obviously a, a classic uh, classic golf course. Uh, Harbour Town is a beautiful place, but possibly even shorter and and trickier in in area. So, uh, no, you're right. Um, I think uh, I think there's two courses. Um, they, they're not necessarily set up badly for me, but. Uh, I think uh, I think you you might see some of the guys uh, excelling in those uh, those weeks that are maybe not the longest hitters but the straighter ones. Yeah, and uh, people who can deal with the heat and the humidity because in uh, in in Dallas in June and South Carolina in June it is not going to be mild. No, no, heat is certainly going to be one part. Um, uh, lucky here, seventy five and no humidity is is kind of nice here in Sweden at the moment. So uh, I'll enjoy the weather for for another. Not a little while, and and then prepare for uh, for the heat ahead. Yeah, well, you know, let, let's not get into a little weather. I am in San Diego. I can, I'm undefeated in that department. That's about the only thing I can beat you with. <laughs> yeah, All true right. that. True that. Well, well, we are going to do this every other week. Coming out on Thursdays, we want you to subscribe, rate, review, leave a comment if you have questions here uh, that you want us to do better. Uh, I'm assuming most of the better. Suggestions will be for me, not for Henrik. We'll see. We'll see. See about that. Yeah, but make sure you tell your friends about this. Uh, I would say we we kept it under an hour, and that was a challenge. But we did pretty good here. We hit our time limit, 
Because again, if we're calling the podcast almost an hour, uh, we're not allowed to go over an hour or literally it just cuts off. It's just kind of like the Mission Impossible thing. It just kind of explodes at the end of the day. But thanks everybody for listening. I'm going to give you the final word uh, to your fans uh, who, who, who struggled through my butchering of this end and just want to hear something from you to inspire them going into the uh, rest of their weekend. No, I think uh, just looking forward to uh, to the tour starting up again and seeing live golf on on the PGA Tour. I think uh, that's going to be exciting, and uh, hopefully, uh, uh, as many people as possible are, are staying safe and healthy, and they can they can also be out and, and enjoying enjoying the golf uh, over the weekend. Uh, I know that's been the case in a lot of places uh, that golf courses have been open and and a lot of golf has been played. So. Um, Enjoy the golf and uh, look forward to hearing from you and uh, we'll, we'll catch you in, uh, in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening to the Henrik Stenson Almost an Hour podcast, part of the Callaway Podcast Network.